Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on Homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe... You want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. And first pitch crushing. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Fun fact, each of the top five third basemen in ADP entering the season finished top six at the position, and each of them finished top 40 overall in Roto. Not too shabby. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, November 15th. I am Frank Stample, and he is back. Scott White is back. The crowd goes wild. <sighs> Hello there, Scott. <laughs> How is your time off? How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. My time off was good, relaxing, nice. um, and uh, much needed after the long season that was. You know, I kept working straight through October. I mean, you're always kind of anxious. You, you know, the end of September it feels like a finish line. But I delayed it a bit, delayed gratification, and uh, and it was nice. And I'm back, back to talk more baseball as the hot stove begins to heat up. And we're about to talk about what may be the most interesting position of all heading into 2023. Yes, indeed. Today on the show, we will do a third base recap, year in review, look at the top 10 at the position, and then we will take an early look at Scott's top 20 at third base heading into 2023. You mentioned, Scott, obviously you took some time off. I had some time off as well. I went out to the uh, Arizona Fall League, some first pitch Arizona. A lot of fun. Got to see Matt Mervis in person. He was everything you could have hoped for and then some. Uh, But, you know, we'll have all offseason to talk about him. I think you're you're (laughs) now the, the, what is it? It's, it's it's not the captain of the hype train, right? I guess the you're you're driving this train, Frank, for I'm, Matt Mervis. I think I think I have to transfer my hat, my engineer hat, to you, and let you 
take the wheel or whatever you drive a train with because like we did our first mock for CBS 12 team roto league there there've been some mocks out there in the industry most of them 15 team rotos you know nobody really plays in those kinds of leagues except industry people so we did a 12 teamer but Frank you took Matt Mervis so early did I how early did I take him it was like round 17 or something in a 12 teamer ah that sounds like a great time to take Matt Mervis what are you talking okay. about <laughs> that's what i mean you're you're driving the train ah i am the conductor i am the captain now of the Matt Mervis train uh but yes I, i'm sure We'll talk about them all offseason. We'll see what the Cubs do at first base if they bring someone in. There's been some rumors about that. You know, Scott, I had this idea that once free agency opened, we would get all this player movement because of last year. Remember when it reopened after the lockout? Oh, yeah. And there was just so much going on. I think because that's what happened most recently in, in the most recent offseason that I just had this my idea in my head that it was going to happen again. And now I'm being reminded that most off seasons are usually really, really slow. So uh, I don't know when things are going to pick up, but obviously we've got winter meetings coming up in December, so on and so forth. Any breaking news that happens, uh, we will likely have an emergency podcast in your feed. But let's jump into the position, Scotty. You mentioned this could be the most interesting position, third base, very top heavy. I think there is a very clear top five, potentially top six at the position. Really, if you look at the top eight that rounds out with like Bregman and Gunnar Henderson, I really want one of those guys heading into next season to be my starter because then you get into Matt Chapman and Eugenio Suarez and those guys are okay, but I don't really want them to be my starter at third base. So there's elite talent up top, but it falls off a cliff quite quickly. Yeah, I would say six really, really good options that are going to be drafted. I, I think within the first three rounds, though, one of them, uh, based on very early ADP data, it's possible he slips to round four, even five. But then after that six, uh, you know, you mentioned Alex Bregman, Gunnar Henderson, and I would also put Max Muncy in there. There's three kind of fallback options if you miss out on, on that elite group of six. And then after that, it's it it's dreadful. It's dreadful. <laughs> and, and obviously, we're stretching it a bit with Muncie because he was basically dreadful for uh, for the 2022 season. Got things back on track the final two months, but you know, obviously, the overall numbers not where you want to see them for Muncie. And he's also eligible at second base, so it's very likely somebody drafts him there before you get a chance to take him at third base. All right, well, let's jump in and we will recap the position. The number one third baseman this past season, no surprise, it was Jose Ramirez who finished fifth overall in Roto. He averaged 3.8 fantasy points per game. That was first at the position in points leagues. And ADP before the season, Jose Ramirez was being drafted as the fourth overall player. Um, And he's been incredibly consistent each of the past three seasons. He hasn't finished lower than sixth overall in any of those seasons. He hit 280, 29 homers, 126 RBI, 20 steals as well. Uh, I think we're well past that blip that we saw, Scott, in 2018 and 2019. Again, just so consistent, high floor, relatively high ceiling for Jose Ramirez as well. The only knock on him is that over... The final three months of the season, he did falter. Basically, the second half, he hit 266 with a 780 OPS from July 1st on. Uh, And it turns out that he was playing with a torn ligament in his thumb. He did have surgery on that last week, expected to be ready for spring training. Everything's good there. I have no concerns here, Scott. To me, he's penciled in as a top three pick in fantasy. 
Yeah, I didn't have any concerns. And then the, that news came out about his thumb and how he was playing through that injury for much of the year. And it kind of explains the second half struggles, doesn't it? It's, it's funny a lot of times how after the fact we find out that there was this major variable uh, impacting a player's production. The same thing was true of Jesse Winker. And I think one other player, oh, Lourdes Gurriel. Jesse Winker and Lourdes Gurriel had similar injuries the situations where they were playing through it for much of the year and probably explains why their production was down so much. Uh, having said that, Jose Ramirez still ended up 29 homers, 20 steals, 280 batting average. Not only is he slam dunk the number one third baseman in fantasy, but I think he's very much in the running to go number one overall. I do have Aaron Judge ahead of him, but that's it. I have Ramirez second overall in my own personal rankings. And you know, part of it, is because of that scarcity at third base. Yes, there are six really high-end players there, but there's a good chance, you know, if, if you are picking one or two, you don't take Ramirez, there's a good chance the top five are gone before it gets back to you. Yeah. And uh, so you're, you're then having to try and thread the needle at that position. Uh, not, not many alternatives if you want standout production there. So... I, I, you know, other than Judge, and he's just such an outlier in terms of power. Um, I think uh, for the position scarcity, Ramirez is is who I would go with at the at the start of the draft. I said this last week on a podcast with the Welsh, where in a head to head points league, I think Aaron Judge is easily the number one player in a roto or categories league. I've I've taken a little bit of a step back since the season ended. I think there's an argument for any of Jose Ramirez, Trey Turner, or Aaron Judge to be the top three picks in any order, whatever order you want that to be. Of course, we got to see where Trey Turner winds up in free agency. Uh, but anyway, yes. The point is Jose Ramirez is, is locked in uh, inside that top three. Manny Machado was the second-best third baseman this past season. He finished eighth overall in Roto. He averaged 3.5 fantasy points per game. That was second-best among third basemen. His ADP coming into the season was 21.8. He was the third third baseman off the board, so he did give you a little bit of profit there inside the first two rounds. He hit 298, 32 homers, 100 runs, 102 RBI, nine steals, contributed all five categories. Obviously, not many steals, but this is typically what Manny Machado does provide. Last year, Scott, in the offseason, we were talking about how Machado underperformed his expected numbers and why we were buying back in, and you know we were happy to take him as a second-round pick. I think most people are still happy to take him in that range, but now things have kind of reversed with the expected numbers where he overperformed quite a bit this year. Uh, strikeout rate jumped a little bit. You know, he's not old by any means, but he's you know starting to get up there a tad, just a tad bit. Do any of those things worry you when it comes to Machado? No. Okay. No, not really. And because we've seen his steals kind of fluctuate over the years, he's not a particularly fast runner, but we have seen him make a noteworthy contribution in steals off and on 20 in 2015 14 in 2018 12 in 2021 uh and, and even in the short 60 game season 2020 he had six in 60 games so there are times when he has been somebody who who, who matters in that category and so i think that makes him a prime candidate to take advantage of the new steel-friendly environment that we expect to see next year with the limited number of pickoff throws, the increased base sizes, um, the way stolen bases skyrocketed in the minors with those same rules. 
I think that makes Machado. I, I, I'm not going to put a number on exactly how many steals he's going to contribute, but I think he's a. Uh, I, I think you can more safely say that he will matter as opposed to being just a maybe. The way he collected his steals this past season, Scott, was so weird, too. Seven steals in the first 39 games for Machado. He had just two steals from May 21st on. 111 games. I don't know what the reasoning was for that, if there was any rhyme or reason for uh, that collection of steals, how he gathered them, but ultimately, I think you're right. I mean, I'd probably project him for 10 to 15, and he gives you anything more than that. Obviously, you'd be happy with it. The number three third baseman this past season and someone I was dead wrong about coming into the year, Austin Riley finished 27th overall in Roto, 3.2 fantasy points per game. That was fifth best at the position in points leagues. Uh, His ADP was 41 coming into the season. So again, did give you quite a bit of profit there, uh, finishing as a top 30 player. 273 batting average, 38 homers, 90 runs, 93 RBI. Scott, personally, we were on this podcast worried about the uh, the batting average and the BABIP. We thought there was a chance that that can come down for Austin Riley. It did. It dropped 53 points year over year, but he also lowered his strikeout rate a little bit, and he continues to hit a bunch of line drives. So I don't know that he's going to ever hit 300 again, frankly, but I think he's pretty consistently a 270 to 280 hitter with 35-plus homers in a great lineup in baseball. Yeah, there are a few players that you can write in for a 300 batting average every year. And the fact that Riley's Babbitt did drop by 50 points and he still hit 273, I think yeah. it's a pretty good sign. I don't think there's much need. Like, I, I don't want to overthink this one. He's had back-to-back years of MVP caliber production, pretty close to it anyway, has Riley. So... Yeah, I'm ready to pencil him for in for more of the same next year. And I think it's worth pointing out that I was the most optimistic of the three who are normally on this podcast about him coming into 2022. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I feel better. I feel good about that. Um, but I will point out that his production in 2022 was, he had a huge July. He hit 423 with 11 home runs. He didn't hit even 270 in any other month. So, you know, he got a ridiculously hot stretch during the middle of the season after, you know, kind of a cold start and an even colder finish. I'll also point out that his plate discipline is still pretty bad. And I think that drops him behind guys like Nolan Arenado in points leagues. Actually, let me, let me double check that. I'm not sure I actually rank him behind Arenado. Uh, so let me double check. He, he that. did finish behind Arenado in points leagues this past season. So I would. Yeah, and Arenado's not that. a guy who strikes out much. So that yeah. would make sense. Uh, yeah, I have Arenado ahead of him in points leagues. Yeah. So I think those, makes- are, those are two small critiques about Austin Riley. Why I don't. I'm not ready to say he's you know number two number three at the position i'm not ready to elevate him past manny machado for instance when for a while particularly during that middle middle stretch of the season remember he signed that record deal with the braves uh while that was going on it, it looked like maybe he was ready to leapfrog some of those mainstays i, I don't think he's quite there and you know maybe he w- won't get there in the near future but he is really good i expect him to go in round two if for no other reason because of the position scarcity concerns that is Austin Riley and according to early ADP 
he has he's going at 22.6. He is going just behind Machado and Devers. So that seems to be, you know, the consensus as of now. Uh, we'll see as more drafts go on throughout the offseason. The number four third baseman was Nolan Arenado. He finished 31st overall, 3.4 fantasy points per game. That was third best in head-to-head points leagues. His ADP coming into the season, 55.2. So another one, quite profitable on Nolan Arenado. Big bounce back in the batting average department where he hit 293 with 30 homers, just 73 runs scored. Kind of surprising. I know he doesn't walk all that much, but Cardinals offense is decent at least. That just kind of stood off the page for me. Uh, 103 RBI for Arenado and actually chipped in five steals. Not that I'm expecting that, but it was a career high. So shout out to you, Nolan Arenado. <laughs> uh, his Babbitt went from 249 in 2021 to 290. This past season, I'm not sure that I buy it, though, Scott. He does make a ton of contact. He does not strike out. He barely strikes out. 11.6% K rate is fantastic. Uh, He hit a few more line drives, but still a lot of fly balls, near 50%. He had a career-high infield fly ball rate. Those are automatic outs. Uh, And it's not like he hit the ball that much harder either, Scott. So that huge jump in Babbitt, I personally am not buying it. I think maybe he's more of like a 265, 270 hitter at this point. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's probably right. But I'm much more optimistic about him heading into next year than I was heading into this year. I think that's fair. He He's now proven twice over that the power translates outside of Colorado. Back-to-back 30 homer seasons, and, and particularly this past year, a really difficult year for anybody to hit 30-plus homers. So I think if you can get a reliable 30-homer guy to position this week... That's still really valuable, even if the batting average might be a little underwhelming. Um, for Roto Leagues, yeah, he's he's not going to give you much of anything in stolen bases, we don't think. Even so, I, I would put Arenado in the elite class of third baseman, that group of six that I really like to get one of, even if he is clearly uh, one of the one of the lesser of that group. And he is the one I was referring to who might slip into round four or potentially even round five. And if that's the case, like I'm all about that. That seems like great. (laughs) I don't think personally, if you're drafting with me, that's going to happen because he'll be the last of those six to go off the board in all likelihood. And I'm not going to wait two rounds to see if, if, I can get him and then, you know, feel like I'm screwed at third base. Like I, that's just, that's not, I'm not going to approach it that way. So I guess I'm advising nobody else to let him last that long either, but it is theoretically possible that he could. Scott, how many drafts are you going to do next year where you take Jose Altuve in the third round and Nolan Arenado in the fourth? Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Probably none. <laughs> well, who should go first? That that's something I, I we did we did that first mock draft for CBS. It was twelve team roto league. Like I said, I actually faced this decision early in round three, and I took Arenado. At that point, neither Altuve or Simeon had gone off the board, or or Ozzy Albies for that matter. Um, and I took Arenado early in round three. ADP showed that it was very likely somebody like Altuve would get back to me late in round four. Then it happened. They both ended up going before my next pick, Albies as well. And so, you know, I was left with like Cattell Marte as my second baseman in that mock. But, you know, like I'm saying, like Arenado's the last one. 
So if I didn't take him, my options on the way back, unless he just happened to miraculously make it back to me late in round four, my options would be nobody. Uh, There were still three choices at second base that I could live with. So ideally, yes, a a lot of drafts I'll take Arenado in round three, Altuve in round four. That that's ideally what would happen. You, I think you said the reverse: Altuve in round gotcha. three, Arenado in round four. I don't think that's going to happen very much because somebody takes Arenado and and you're in a desperate spot at third base. I feel like. Yeah, no, that's fair. And you mentioned there, you know, there's not many thirty plus home run hitters, especially at third base at this point, as part of your analysis for Nolan Arenado, and. Off the top of your head, Scott, I don't expect you to know this, but do you have a guess for how many 30-plus home run hitters there were this past season? Did we get to 20 of them? Yes. So was it like 23? It was 23. And that was part of, you know, later on when we talk about Eugenio Suarez, just the fact that he hit 31 homers, although the rest of his production was not really impressive, that's why he ranked as highly as he did. It's just we don't have as many 30-plus home run hitters as we've had in years past. So it's something yep. that you know helps elevate someone like Nolan Arenado or even Eugenio Suarez when we talk about him a little bit later on. And, and, and that, I think, is going to remain the case. I think that's the new... And, and look, it's not unprecedented. You go back to just before the, the, the juice ball era in 2016, um, we're, we were trending that we had, we had some years before then where there were fewer than 23 guys who hit 30 homers in the season, in a season. So it's, you don't have to go back that far to find that as being the norm in baseball. And I think it's back to being the norm, which yes, does help elevate somebody like Arenado. And in a way, I don't think, uh, I don't think a lot of people are prepared for because they're just going to say, Oh yeah, two sixty hitting 30 Homer guy, but he doesn't give me any steals, whatever. That's not an early rounder. Well, no, it really should be, especially given uh, given the lack of options at third base. All right, let's get into the fifth best third baseman. That was Bobby Witt Jr. He finished 36th overall. 2.9 fantasy points per game was eighth at the position. He's not as good in points leagues as he is in roto or categories because he does... Uh, doesn't walk very much. He you know, strikes out a decent amount. It's it's not egregious or anything. But he hit 254, 20 homers, 82 runs, 89 RBI, 30 steals as a rookie in his age 22 season. Uh, average exit velocity, not all that impressive, 65th percentile. But the max EV tells us maybe there's a little bit more power coming in the tank, 92nd percentile in max EV. And according to Sprint Speed, he is the fastest player in baseball. You know, maybe there's a few guys that are tied for this 100th percentile, but Bobby Witt Jr. is part of that 100th percentile in terms of sprint speed. Scott, I will paint the glass half full picture for Bobby Witt, and then I'll let you uh, analyze him because as you have pointed out on Twitter, it's very early in the offseason. There have been 18 NFBC drafts. Bobby Witt Jr. is 8.1. 8. Overall, point one overall. He's not, not a third base. <laughs> eight. He is a first rounder according to those eighteen mock drafts. Yes, he, he sure is. And I will admit that it is very aggressive. But again, glass half full here. Prospect pedigree. What he's already accomplished: a twenty thirty season at twenty two years old. I we have every reason to believe that he should progress. He should get better, and hopefully the rest of the Royals lineup gets better around him, which ultimately will help with the counting stats. I don't know that the batting average ever gets that great. You know, maybe he's 260, 270, something like that. But 
I legitimately think he can hit 25 homers with 40-plus steals, Scott. And if he does that, it's probably worth being a first-round pick, at least in a Roto or a Categories League. So that's my that's my uh, my pitch, my glass half full for Bobby Witt. Yeah, I mean, you're asking him to take a big step forward. Because, I mean, if he just replicates his line from his rookie season, he places behind Nolan Arenado. You're reading off yep. the order they finished in 5x5 five five leagues. Witt was worse than Arenado, who nobody, not even me, is considering for a first-round pick. I mean, you break down that, you, you look, we're, you know, we're, we're talking primarily five by five leagues here, five by five scoring. And so you look at the stats that directly impact that format. He got the 30 steals. That's great. I'm going to read off the rest of the numbers, though. 254, 20 home runs, 82 runs, 89 RBI. There's nothing else there that's that impressive other than the steals. I, I'm not saying 20 homers are bad, you know, 80 runs, 89 RBI, you know, that's that's okay. <laughs> but you want much better than that from a first-round pick. And in fact, if you compare Bobby Witt's stat line here to Marcus Simeon's stat line this past year, pretty close. Like Bobby Witt performed a lot like Marcus Simeon if we're just talking the 5 by 5 numbers. And... You know, second base is weaker than third base. So uh, my initial rankings, I had Simeon ahead of Witt, much less Witt going in the first round. I just think first round for Witt is crazy. Anyway, slice it. If he is going to go that early, okay, I'll moderate my stance a little bit. I'll put him ahead of Simeon. I'll put him ahead of Arenado, even, who I, I originally didn't do that. Because, yeah, it should be a lot of steals. And while I do think that category will be much more plentiful in 2023 than we're used to it being, it's it's a lot. And, and you'd rather get it with an early round pick than not get it from an early round pick. So I get that. But to take Witt ahead of Machado, ahead of Austin Riley, ahead of Rafael Devers is just, like, it's crazy to me. I could almost understand you, if Bobby's with Statcast page was all lit up in red, but you pointed out middling average exit velocity, his plate discipline is really just dreadful at this stage of his career. He reached base at a 293 clip, I believe, a sub 300 clip, and we're talking about taking this guy in round one. He had like a 720 OPS, and we're talking about taking him in round one. Like, no, no, you can't do that. I, you can't do that. It's possible he'll live up to the first round price tag, but like you don't shoot for the moon in round one when you have assured studs going in the same range. It's at his own position, assured studs that you could draft. Yeah, I don't like it at all. I don't. I could, and, and you know, part of it I think is the NFBC effect where people are trying to win the overall, they're trying to beat out hundreds of teams as opposed to just. 10 or 11 in their own league, you know? And so in that, con like, I still don't think it's the wisest thing to to just, like, aim maximum upside for every pick because obviously you're never you're never going to hit on every single one of those picks and get the, the full extent of every player's upside. Like, that's just not going to happen. But you can kind of understand it from that context. If you're trying to beat 100 guys, just, like, give me, give me as much upside as I can and, you know, if it doesn't work out and I finish... 400th or whatever, then, you know, that's not any worse than finishing 40th. But if you're talking about just winning your own fantasy league, 
there's no reason to take that kind of risk at that stage of the draft. So no, no earlier than round three for me for Witt. Taking Bobby Witt Jr., eighth overall, or really anywhere in the first round, you need him to hit his ceiling outcome. There is no margin for error. So just keep that in mind. And we were talking beforehand, Scott, I think you laid it out well. There's always going to be players that have a disparity between the NFBC, which again, these are high stakes drafts. There's lots of money involved and there's people chasing upside. Let's just call it for what it is uh, versus people who play in home leagues. And that's not to disparage home leagues or anything, but there's just always going to be a few players that we see value differently in those two different types of formats, two different types of leagues. So I think Bobby Witt Jr. is one of those where uh, we will but, see that disparity quite a bit. But, but see, what, what I worry about, and in, in this is NFBC's kind of, a, when did NFBC start? It's a relatively new thing. I think it's it's been around for at least a decade, but it's gotten a lot more popular over the past couple of years. Yeah, so it it has ADP data before anything else. And I right. I... I I worry it it has this um it's almost like a waterfall effect. It it becomes self-fulfilling. Yeah. yeah. Like we in our first mock draft, which obviously isn't an overall, it's just you're competing <laughs> against 12 teams. Bobby went went in the first round of that as well because you know, the people who are really paying close attention to this stuff are used to seeing Bobby Witt going round 1. And you know, if that keeps happening, then more people get used to seeing Bobby Witt going in round 1 and sooner or later Eventually, it just comes to be that everywhere he's going in round one, and uh, he will be one of my will be one of my top bus picks if that does come to be. All right. Well, you might be wondering where is Rafael Devers? We haven't talked about him yet. He's finally here. He finished sixth overall at the position, fortieth overall in roto. He averaged three point three fantasy points per game. That was fourth best at the position. His ADP was fourteen point four, so he did let us down quite a bit this past season. He hit two ninety five, twenty seven homers. 84 runs, 88 RBI, and three steals. Still hit the ball extremely hard. Really, if you look at the season breakdown, month by month for Devers, he was just crushed by an awful August. Like, just really, really bad. 163 batting average, 515 OPS. He missed the end of July with a hamstring injury. So, I guess it's possible when he returned, maybe he came back a little bit too soon, or he was playing through the injury, whatever it might be. But, Scott, I mean, I'm frankly not worried about Rafael Devers in that really, really bad month. I still think he's going to be an awesome player and he's worthy of a second round pick. Yeah, I'll take him in the first round. I'll take him at the end of the first round just okay. so I don't have to, so I don't have to reach for somebody like Arenado. You know, if, if you don't get Devers and Machado at the turn there, then you're either settling for a second rate third baseman or you're reaching for Arenado in all likelihood. So, uh, I want to make sure I get him. And, and yeah, Devers, Devers does have that StatCast page that's all lit up in red, like straight A's on his report card, basically. Um, 98th percentile average exit velocity. You know, if, you, if, if, if you're just looking at XBA, X slug, 95th percentile, 94th percentile. I have no concerns here. He's an amazing hitter. Yeah, kind of a weird second half. Maybe the injury didn't help, but... I mean, go back and look at what he did in in um, in 2021, hitting 38 homers with 113 RBI, 101 runs scored. Like that's still first round production, as far as I'm concerned. Each of his past two full seasons before this year, Rafael Devers, he finished sixth and twelfth overall, respectively, in roto. So 
Uh, yeah, Tever still has the upside to be a first-round caliber player, regardless of format, if we're being honest. Uh, before we get into 7 through 10, I want to run through those a little bit quicker. I uh, do want to promote a few things. If you want to support your favorite fantasy baseball podcast, well, you can do just that. We have an FBT collection on the CBS Sports Store, which includes shirts, hats, sweatpants, hoodies, a laser-engraved pint glass, and we also have a coffee mug. Speaking of which, shout-out to Matt Logan. He tweeted at us over the weekend uh, a picture of his grand drinking from the FBT mug. It was awesome. So happy to see it. Uh, and everyone else can join in on the fun. Again, all you have to do, search Fantasy Baseball Today at CBS Sports Store on Google or if you're watching us live on YouTube right now, you can pull out your phone. We have a QR code, which is, uh, I'm pointing the wrong way, over there, top right corner. It's right above Scotty. And you just pull out your phone, you scan that. That'll take you uh, right to the store where you can purchase any of those things. And of course, uh, if you do... If you do that, use the promo code FANTASYBASEBALL20 for 20% off your order, and you can do that today. So help us out, and let's have some fun. Let's take a break, and we will hit the rest of the top 10 here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Seventh at the position was Brandon Drury, who was one of the waiver wire ads of the season. He finished 60th overall, three fantasy points per game. That was seventh best in head-to-head points leagues. Great year. 263 batting average, 28 homers, 87 runs, 87 RBI. But he was much better with the Reds. He was much better in Great American Ballpark. Those numbers took a step back once he joined the Padres. And Brandon Drury is a free agent. So we don't really know where he's going to play. Early ADP is right around 180, which tells me, Scott, that other people really don't know what to do with Brandon Drury either. What do you think? Well, yeah. I mean, beyond that, it it says they're not buying in. and and Right. He's eligible at the two weakest positions, second and third base, and he may be eligible at first base as well. Double check that. Uh, oh man, it's divided I, up by team. I well, definitely, he, yeah, yeah, first, second, and third is, base. Yeah. I think he is. So he has base. he has optimal eligibility, does Drury, and yet he's still going that late, and I think for good reason. Yeah, guy has a career season, not just a career season, but goes from being no a nobody, right? Uh, to to then being an all-star at age 30. So to give you that breakdown of his numbers in Cincinnati versus everywhere else, in Great American Ballpark, the most homer-friendly venue in baseball, he hit 298 with a 915 OPS. Everywhere else, Brandon Drury hit 240 with a 746 OPS. So unless he re-signs with the Reds, I'm going to bet against him being an all-star caliber player again. 
and uh, probably in, in 12 team leagues, he will be, you know, assuming he finds a place to play every day and, and is playing every day. Uh, even in that scenario, I imagine he'll be kind of a, a fringy roster type. I could be wrong, Scott, but I do not think he's going back to Cincinnati because they already have their Brandon Drury replacement. Nick Solak, baby. This <laughs> year's Brandon Drury. Let's go. Mark it. Mark it. Write it down. November 14th, November 15th, whenever you're listening to this, you heard it here first. Nick Solak. Eighth best at the position was Alex Bregman. He finished 66th overall in Roto, 3.2 fantasy points per game. That was tied for fifth in points leagues where Alex Bregman still does excel in that format. He was one of six qualified hitters with more walks and strikeouts this past season. He hit 259, 23 homers, 93 runs, 93 RBI. And Scott Bregman has kind of turned into this Nolan Arenado light. He hits a ton of fly balls to the pull side, lackluster stat cast numbers. He's got strong plate discipline, but he just doesn't really stand out anywhere. Uh, the counting stats are really good, but outside of that, not really that enticing. What do yeah. you think? Yeah, I think he's kind of a, a poster child for the effect that the juice ball era had. And his entire career, you know, up to the point that the juice ball era ended, it, it happened in the juice ball era. So we didn't know Alex Bregman outside of that. And uh, with that juiced up baseball, the the ease with which fly balls turned into home runs. He had the upside of 35 homers. And now it's more like 25 homers. He had 22 this year in 155 games. And uh, he probably, like for most of baseball history, that's probably the kind of guy he would have been. He's always had middling exit velocity and not the kind that you'd expect from a 35 homer guy. Uh, hit 41 homers one year even. We're not going to see that from Alex Bregman again. But superlative plate discipline, I mean, in points leagues, you can probably add him to that group of six as another stud. In fact, in points leagues, I'm taking him. I'm straight up taking Bregman over Bobby Witt. I don't care. He walks more than he strikes out, and that adds so much, in addition to steals not being as valuable in points leagues um, as in 5 by 5 where they're at least thought to be very scarce. So, uh, yeah, that's the story with Bregman. I, I think in 5x5 five five leagues, because there are limits on his home runs, because even though the strikeouts are low, uh, you know, he puts the ball in the air a lot, so the batting average is not really a standout for that. He had 259 this past year. Could probably hit as high as 280, but I'd, I'd take the under on that. Uh, Bregman is decidedly second tier and more of a fallback option after after that top six is gone. And you mentioned the lack of steals and how it doesn't really matter in points leagues as much. Bregman has just two steals since the start of 2020. So that part of his game has just completely been abandoned. And, and obviously we should not expect anything like that from him. So well, uh, that's why well, I, I mean, I don't know. I guess maybe you, you never the know. The stolen base <laughs> landscape is changing. Let's let's uh, let's let's take the the angle of chaos here and if we're if like we don't know what anything we don't know what anybody's doing with regard to stolen bases anymore maybe Bregman can become something of a contributor there but yeah he's not 33rd percentile speed is what he had and yeah it's not it's not the most likely outcome number 9 and 10 at the position i'm going to put together here because frankly they are Quite similar players. Eugenio Suarez bounced back in a big way. He hit 236 with 31 home runs and 87 RBI in his first season with the Mariners. Just very odd that 
a negative park shift from Cincinnati to Seattle resulted in the bounce back we were looking for for Eugenio Suarez. Uh, negative park shift, neg- negative league environment. Yeah, too. everything. Uh, and everything then, working against him. It's, this is the year Suarez bounces back. Yeah, yeah, he sure did. Uh, still struck out quite a bit, 31%, but he did see that big uptick in BABIP that we've been looking for the past couple of seasons. Not sure how sustainable it is, um, but alas, that is uh, Eugenio Suarez. And then Matt Chapman is the other one where he hit 229 with 27 homers, 83 runs, 76 RBI. His first season with the Toronto Blue Jays still hits the ball really hard. And very often he does that. 92.2 mile per hour average exit velocity was in the 93rd percentile, Scott. And I know there was a point there where it looked like it was happening from June to July. Two-month stretch where Matt Chapman was elite. He was one of the best hitters overall uh, in fantasy during that time. And then from August on, just completely collapsed once again. So not really sure what to make of it, but Suarez and Chapman... Seem like similar skill set this, at this point. Lower batting average, but decent power. Yes, and it was discouraging because not only did he he not finish as strong Chapman, I'm talking about, uh, as we would have liked, but that was even though he did have that big bounce back in terms of exit velocity. He had always been a standout there with Oakland, had the hip surgery. Uh, was it after the 2020 season or was it before the 2020 season? Somewhere around there he had a hip torn laborman is hip repaired and and the exit velocity in 2021 cratered so we were hoping a bounce back season with another year of recovery with that move from oakland to toronto and it did show up in the exit velocity and it just it didn't to the same extent in the numbers and uh one potential factor is that i think toronto is becoming a net negative for hitters with the introduction of the humidor it was remember this was pointed out to us and not not so much the humidor angle but in 2021 vladimir guerrero to remember toronto had that season split between three venues because of covid and uh, when they were back in their true home environment we saw vladimir guerrero's numbers take a step back well they got a full year there and I think from a lot of their hitters, the production was pretty disappointing, Guerrero included. It used to be known as a hitter's paradise, but that was before the humidor. Well, even yet, yeah, the, the reason I bring up 2021 and the close of 2021 is, is they were one of the few teams who had the humidor that year too. Uh, every team got it installed in, in 2022, but Toronto did before then. And we saw, we saw the impact it had. So, I don't know that Chapman is going to benefit from playing in Toronto. I mean, he's done it a year now, and we obviously saw it didn't have that much of an impact. But I, I don't think that that was a fluky occurrence necessarily. So I do rank Suarez ahead of Chapman for next year as well. They are very similar in terms of projected output. I think Chapman might still have the higher ceiling. Uh, you, you know, you were skeptical of how sustainable even a 236 batting averages for Suarez, and I don't think he has the upside for much more than that. So I guess I would have to agree. Like, he probably can't be much better than he was in 2022. But I don't know that Chapman's getting that much better either. To your point, Scott, about Toronto and the Rogers Center. I'm looking at their park factors according to StatCast from this past season, and they were tied for 13th 
in just overall offensive park factors. They were tied with uh, the Braves, with actually PNC Park with the Pirates, Wrigley Field with the Cubs. So those four teams, 13 through 16, they were all tied with a 100 park factor, which is league average. So Yeah, it's average. It's, yeah. it's not bad. Maybe I shouldn't have said net negative, but it's... But it is worse it's not than a, where it's... It's not a hitter's paradise anymore, like it's been known as yeah. through, throughout its history. I, I think... The way to phrase it is it, it's a it's a net negative compared to where it was in years past, yeah. where it was a much better hitter's environment. So that is Toronto and uh, something that could affect, potentially affect uh, Matt Chapman again this upcoming season. Uh, all right, so those were the top 10 at uh, third base, and we'll get into the rankings in just a little bit. I do have some news and notes that I want to quickly run through here, Scott. We actually did have a signing. It doesn't really affect things all that much. Um, outside of the fact that we know Clayton Kershaw is going to be back, at least for one more year. He agreed to a one-year $20 million deal with the Dodgers, and he was amazing as always. 2.28 ERA, 0.94 whip, over a strikeout per inning. He's still getting a bunch of ground balls and whiffs, and he's limiting walks. The only issue is workload. Uh, he has not exceeded 126 and a third innings since 2019, and I think that's probably something that we should just expect at this point for Kershaw. Yeah, I would agree. He's he's difficult to rank because you know he's going to be good, but over how many innings? Yeah, and I know you ranked your pitchers. I, I think you had him inside your top 30, if I'm remembering correctly. Does that sound right, Clayton Kershaw? Mm-hmm. If not top 30, then close to it. Yeah, sorry. I should have those pulled up to make this a little easier. I got it. You have I him have... 28th. Okay. Um, okay. Unless you change this guy, you could correct no, me. If no, I'm I have twenty eighth. All right, cool. That's right. Uh, speaking of the Dodgers, they declined Justin Turner's sixteen million dollar option, which you know could potentially mean big things for Miguel Vargas. Well, I don't know that they'll start the season with him as their uh, starting third baseman, but for now, it, it seems like it could be good news for Miguel Vargas. Rafael Montero is headed back to the Astros on a three year, thirty four and a half million dollar deal. Unfortunately, that means he will not be closing this upcoming season unless something happens to Ryan Presley, if he gets hurt or just falters for whatever reason. Uh, But that is Rafael Montero back with the Astros. Martin Perez is likely to accept the one-year $19.65 million qualifying offer with the Texas Rangers. Blake Trinan under... Go ahead, Scott. I'm kind of surprised by that. Wonder. so how, how much faith does he have in himself if that's the case? Uh, I mean, <laughs> if you were Martin Perez, Scott, what would you do? Because I think I, I, I might I, take it I, too. I imagine he thinks he's great. Yeah, I mean, apparently not. I mean, he's only thirty. Will be thirty-two at around the start of next year. So this is like this may be his last chance to score a multi-year deal, and um, that's true. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the market's going to be like. Obviously, pitching is more plentiful than it's been in recent years because of the the new environment with the no longer juice ball. But you know, the kind of year he had would normally score pitcher a big payday. So I'm a little surprised. I will be shocked if Jock Peterson doesn't accept his qualifying <laughs> offer. That was the one yeah. that that stunned me. The fact that he was offered it. Yeah. Blake Trinan underwent a right shoulder labrum and rotator cuff surgery. It's likely that he will miss the entire 2023 season. The Cubs have released a veteran outfielder, Jason Hayward. And this one was kind of weird. Astros GM James Click will not return for the 2023 season after winning the World Series. I don't know, Scott. It, doesn't this seem weird? Yeah. I, don't, it, I, yeah. I think it's the first time it's happened since the 
40s. That uh, World Series winning GM uh, didn't return. So surprising. And uh, there seemed to be some disagreement with ownership there about how things were run. And, you know, that's after, that's after obviously the previous regime. There were a lot of questions raised about how things were run. So it seems from the outside looking in, James Click brought a lot of stability, took him to the World Series two straight years, won it the second time. But again, what do I know? I just realized, Scott, you haven't been on the podcast since the Astros won the World Series. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to say? <laughs> yeah. Good for Dusty. Good for the good for good for all of them. Good job, guys. Way to go. I think you had we, a good season. You capped it off with a champ, Ian Chip. I think we so can all that. agree with at least the first sentiment there. Uh, congrats to Dusty Baker. Everyone else, eh, I'm, I'm not so sure. <laughs> Rookie of the Year awards were announced. No surprise, Julio Rodriguez won it in the American League. And since he started the season on the opening day roster, the Mariners will receive draft pick compensation just after the first round uh, in 2023. So it's it's really cool to see that this rule is already going into effect the first year where it was a thing. So good for you Mariners. I'm happy you got it done. And I, I think other teams will be pretty aggressive with calling up prospects on opening day. Uh, next year, we know that yep. Cor- Corbin Carroll will be, um, you know, part of that. Gunnar Henderson. Yeah. Gunnar Henderson will be part of it. Who we'll we talk need to about, talk about here soon in just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I think, it's all the reason why Matt Mervis should start the season on the on the Cubs <laughs> roster. And, you know, any team that has a prospect that that's close, why wouldn't you do it, right? Just to have that opportunity to uh, chase that mm-hmm. draft pin compensation. And then in the National League, Michael Harris beat out his teammate, Spencer Strider. Uh, Harris actually, I thought it would have been a little bit closer than this. Harris received 22 of 30 first place votes, Scott. Did that surprise you? Yeah, I thought it would be closer to. In fact, I, I started. I saw some very smart people saying uh, Spencer Strider instead, which was fun to see because you know I I, I like. I mean, I, I think war is important for these kinds of discussions, but I think sometimes it becomes just a war leaderboard. Basically, who should win these awards, and you know that I I, I don't I don't feel great about that completely. Harris had five a five point three war this year. Like, it's so rare for a rookie to have a war that high, you know? And and Strider did some historic things too, but he his war wasn't close to 5.3. So I, I can understand why Harris won. All right, the rumor mill is heating up just a tad bit. According to Ken Rosenthal, the Astros have identified Anthony Rizzo as their number one free agent target at first base, which is not great for my Yankees. Not great, Bob. And for... Sean Murphy, John Morosi reports that the Rays are among several teams interested in trading for Sean Murphy, who, when we did our catcher preview, uh, recap slash preview, uh, I mentioned I, I think Sean Murphy is going to be traded. I mean, they obviously they have Shea Langoliers. They have, forgetting his name right now, but they have another prospect who's coming soon. And frankly, they just don't really need Sean Murphy all that much. So the Cardinals, the Guardians have also been linked to Sean Murphy. Yeah, yeah, I can see it happening. I, I think they're. I think Murphy's going to be traded as well. I, I do want to mention Julio Rodriguez had six point two WAR, uh, higher than Harris's, so he had. A, yeah, uh, but there wasn't nearly as much doubt about who was going to win the Rookie of the Year in the AL, 
And Julio Rodriguez was there from the beginning. Well, Harris got called up, what, a quarter of the way into the season, something like that. Yeah. And he got called up from double A, which was obviously really, really surprising at the time. Let's jump into your early 2023 third base rankings, and we'll start up top. There's no surprises early on. Top five here, Jose Ramirez, Rafael Devers, Manny Machado, Austin Riley, and Nolan Arenado. Uh, I guess there's no surprises uh, unless you play in the NFBC, of course, because then we get to Bobby Witt, finally, as your sixth-ranked third baseman, followed by Alex Bregman, Gunnar Henderson, Max Muncy, and Anthony Rendon. So uh, two names there that we have not talked about yet today. Um, Max Muncy, we spoke about on the second base preview. Gunnar Henderson, one of the top prospects in the game. He plays for the Orioles. He's 21 years old, and uh, he did not play much, but he hit 259, four homers, one steal the final month of the season. Hit the ball really hard, Scott. He's really fast, 91st percentile on sprint speed, and he had, he had a really impressive minor league season as well, where he was a near 2020 bat. Uh, the only thing that stands out to me, he's got to lower the ground ball rate near 60%. That is just not going to work for any type of power production, but the mm-hmm. tools are there and he's going to start the season on the Orioles roster. I think there's a lot to be excited about with Gunnar Henderson. Yeah, I really don't know how it's going to play out. The first 34 games he got in the majors, I was I was pretty encouraged by it. The strikeout rate wasn't out of control. They they weren't hesitant to play him against left-handed pitchers. Uh, he's he only stole one base in those 34 games, but as fast as he is and, and what he did in the minors, I expect he's going to run a lot more, especially with the new rules that are taking effect. So it's kind of a mystery box, but it's it's a mystery box with some encouraging first indicators. I suspect he'll be the consensus number one overall prospect entering next year because uh, he basically was prior to his promotion. He didn't use up his rookie eligibility yet, and there's no reason to move him down based on how he performed. So uh, the fact you can get that at a position that's weak at third base, as weak as third base, and the fact that you can get him as, as late as eighth effort at third base, uh, it, it makes him a pretty nice fallback option if you do miss out on those studs. But you don't really know what you're getting. And if he falls flat on his face, there's not much for you to fall back on at the position. Yeah, I, I guess the ceiling is high, but the floor is also pretty low. We just don't know when it comes to Gunnar Henderson. There's a lot of projection, and that's fair because he was the top prospect, but... Frankly, we, we still don't know for sure. I, I, I do want to mention real quick a couple things here. Gunnar Henderson yep. is going to begin next year as third base only. It's a good chance he picks up shortstop at some point during the year and, and maybe even second base at some point. Uh, also, you mentioned I have Bobby Witt six behind Arenado. Again, based on the early enthusiasm for Witt, and the fact that I'm probably not going to draft him either way. Somebody's going to get to him before I do. I, I went ahead and did move Witt up ahead of Arenado, so he's now fifth for me at third base, at least in 5x5 five five scoring. He's lower in points leagues. All right, fair enough. I mentioned Anthony Rendon was 10th in the rankings here. He hit 229 with five homers in just 47 games, and that is the issue. The fact that Anthony Rendon has not played more than 58 games in a season since 2019. You know, what's actually funny is that the 58 games came in the shortened 60-game season in 2020, and that's the most that he's played over the past three years. So basically, since joining the Angels, he just cannot stay healthy, Scott. The plate discipline still looks really good for Anthony Rendon. I'm not sure how much power he will generate anymore in this environment. 
I really don't know what to expect, frankly. I, I don't know how much he could play, and I don't know what kind of player he is anymore. That is Anthony Rendon. Yeah, I feel like Rendon and Bregman were in a similar spot entering 2022 with, yep. okay, how's their power going to play in this new environment? They've had some injury issues in recent year. Bregman put together a full season. Wasn't, you know, it was, was a pretty productive player in fantasy still. Rendon continued to get hurt. He's older than Bregman. He's he's 32 now. So that that may be a trend that continues. And if you just combine the numbers from the last two years when when these when when the juice ball started to be phased out, you know, not as much in 2021, but it started in 2021 and then you know even more so in 2022. Uh in 105 games, Rendon has hit 235 with a 709 OPS. So a long time of, of not getting much production from him. Now, the stretch he was healthy in 2022 was the stretch where hitting was at its worst across the league. It was cold. You know, everybody was struggling for the most part. So if he had gotten a full summer, hypothetically, could Rendon have, have bounced back and, and put up numbers closer to his prime? I guess it's possible, but that's, that's kind of reaching you know, to, to, to find an optimistic spin here. And I, I just don't think you can count on Rendon for much of anything. I'm still ranking him 10th at the position because like after Max Muncy at nine, there's not a lot to get excited about. And Rendon at least has that, that uh, history of being a stud performer and, and maybe the health issues of the past couple years were dragging down his production. I mean, he did have that amazing home run batting left-handed off a position. Remember that? That was like my favorite <laughs> moment of the season. Yeah, that Rendon, was awesome. His Gosh. one at bat from the left side of the plate, he decided to do that with a position player pitching and hit a home run. Uh, and then he got hurt soon after that, so it was quickly forgotten. But that was, that was you know, that that showed some skill, I would say. <laughs> that was awesome, and he, yes. And, he, and, he, and his play discipline is still amazing. So, you know, I, I do see the potential for Rendon to have a bounce-back season and would willing to, if, if I just got left out of thir- at third base, like I'd rather gamble on that than settle for assured mediocrity. But it's, it's not something you should make a heavy investment in at all. All right, 11 through 15 in the rankings for next year. Eugenio Suarez, Matt Chapman, Brandon Drury, John Birdie, who we spoke about on the second base podcast, and Matt, not Matt, Jose Miranda. His, yeah, his name is not Matt. Uh, seem, this seems like a decent fallback option as well here, Scott, because he didn't disappoint as a rookie this past season. And, and in fact, I think he was solid. He hit 268, 15 home runs in 125 games. Jose Miranda does not walk very much, but he does make a lot of contact. He had a sub 20% strikeout rate. Doesn't hit the ball all that hard. But again, makes contact, likely projects to hit in the middle of the Twins lineup, which, you know, if Buxton could ever stay healthy, maybe it could be a decent lineup. Uh, I don't know that the upside is massive, Scott, but I feel like Miranda is also a decent fallback option. What do you think? Yeah, this looks like a player I'd like a whole lot more if it was still the juice ball era, but I, I just don't think the impact potential is high enough in, in the, the current offensive environment. Uh, he, he'll probably be okay. Um, he does put the ball in the air a decent amount, which helps maximize, or and he, and he pulls it in the air more specifically, which helps to maximize what power potential he has. But that, that also works against his batting average. 
So, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't really feel like there's a lot more upside to tap into just looking at the the hitting profile for Jose Miranda. He seems kind of Ty France-like for me, which maybe that'll sound exciting to some people. I'm kind of bearish on Ty France at this point. But Miranda does have the the superior eligibility. Third base, you know, is obviously a lot more valuable than first base. He also does have first base for what it's worth. Uh, but France is only first base. So, you know, between the two, I'm taking Miranda. But yeah, I think I think nothing more than a fallback option. 16 through 20 in the rankings. We've got Josh Young of the Rangers, Brett Beatty of the Mets, TJ LeMayhew, Justin Turner, who is now a free agent. So we'll uh, see where he plays. If he plays, perhaps he decides to retire. And then Eduardo Escobar rounds out the top 20. It's got two names I want to highlight here. Two youngsters, Josh Young, who hit 204 with five home runs and two steals in his 26 games with the Rangers, 38% strikeout rate for Josh Young, which I don't know if he was just selling out, trying to hit for power in this small sample or whatever it was, but really did not strike out that much at any point in the minors. Uh, That is Josh Young. And then Brett Beatty is the other one where he only played 11 games with the Mets, but he hit 184 with two home runs and a 19% strikeout rate. He is 23 years old, but he's only played six games above double A. Between these two, I think it's much more likely that Josh Young starts the season on the Rangers roster. I don't know that I could say that for certain with Brett Beatty. Yeah, and because Beatty Beatty's also coming off um, surgery, that's that's what ended his time with the Mets. And so I've I've actually decided to drop him a couple spots behind Lemayhu and Turner, at least in, until we have a better idea what role he's going to fill. Eduardo Escobar bounced back so well in September for the Mets. Uh, in that month, he hit 321 with eight home runs and is still under contract. So I presume he'll enter next year at Escobar Will as the favorite for third base, and Beatty will probably have to spend some more time in the minors. Young, I, I think he pretty much has the third base job locked up, but not because of performance. You know, this is kind of the difference between how I rank Gunnar Henderson and how I rank Josh Young. I mean, we, we saw so little of both of them. That they're both basically mystery boxes, but Gunnar Henderson looked pretty good in that little bit amount of time, and and Young looked pretty terrible. So that that adds up to um, eight spots difference in my third base or nine spots difference in my third base rankings. Uh, eight, no eight. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I mean, the strikeout rate is a head scratcher because. Even before he developed power in the minors, he was good at putting the bat on the ball. So I did not expect to see that from Josh Young. It seems like in particular, sliders gave him trouble. I imagine that's usually the case for somebody who strikes out a lot, right? And uh, I just wonder if it could be a situation like Jared Kelnick where and didn't really have strikeout issues in the minors too, but then he came up and he, he, couldn't, hit a, he couldn't hit a slider. And he's... He, his future is very much in doubt because of it. I don't think we've seen nearly enough from Young to conclude that, but it's why I'm. I I, w- I wouldn't want to be counting on him for much. As you know, late round pick for, with for some upside, sure. Yeah. But I, I I'm I'm not I'm not optimistic about what Young's going to give you in 2023. Again, an early breakdown of the position is. 
try to get one of the top eight. Scott says top nine. If you want to put Max Muncy in that mix for me, it's top eight. Uh, frankly, you know, I'd, I'd feel more comfortable with like Bregman or Gunnar Henderson than well, Max Muncy. Uh, but if and, I, and, and, and really I'd say top six through yeah. Witten Arenado and just those, those next three Bregman, Henderson, Muncy, that's more the fallback. Mm-hmm. Like beyond that, ugh. It like it. You've messed up if you don't get one of those top nine. If I miss out on really everything, Jose Miranda. This would probably mean the rest of my team looks really, really good. I I I don't have much of an issue with it, especially where he's going. I'm sure it's not going to be. I don't know what the ADP is early on, but yeah, he's not even listed here. Anyway, Jose Miranda is probably the the early fallback option. One sixty two. Okay. Eh, that's actually a little bit higher than I thought. Anyway, uh, just wrap up here. A few changes in head-to-head points leagues. Bregman goes ahead of Bobby Witt. Max Muncy goes ahead of Gunnar Henderson. Uh, Yandy Diaz jumps inside of the top 20. And if you want to check out those rankings, you can find them on the site. Scott has all different articles written out for each of uh, the early position rankings for 2023. Coming up on Wednesday night and Thursday morning, we'll have third base prospects and we'll talk about uh, the position from a dynasty perspective as well. So if you do have a question, you can send it in fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. But we're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Thursday. Bye-bye. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.